0: Anyway, so how are you doing? I'm going to have a pop quiz today. Okay? Go ahead, groan. Uh, all right? But I'm your friend. There's only one question and there's one answer. I'm going to give it to you. All right? So the answer is excellent. When I ask you the question, you're just going to say excellent. Are you ready? How are you doing today? <laughs> Oh, you even said excellent, excellent. That's good, all right? Uh, because we're doing our deeper dive in our, our core values, To the Core is our series. And uh, this weekend, our, va- our value we're looking at is excellence in ministry. Now, excellence uh, is rarely accidental, rarely by surprise. It is almost always on purpose and intentional. It's almost always hard fought for and sought after and something that you have to really pursue. And you have to also work to preserve it. And so when I say, how are you doing? You say, excellent. And once you find the question, you go, I'm not doing excellent. Well, you have a choice. How you're doing is largely and more a choice than it is a circumstance. And so I want to talk to you about excellence in ministry, and not just in ministry here, but if your life is ministry, we're going to broaden that out to talk about excellence in life in general. And so each week we've been putting our core value on the screen. I ask you to read out loud with me. And because it starts with we believe, we're going to read we believe as enthusiastically as we cheered out. Four letters that spell Ohio, all right? Uh, and we're going to declare this value, okay? So let's toss it up on the screen, and would you do it with me? We the excellence of God. You'll be compelled to serve Him with a passion and give Him your absolute best. Excellence in ministry. And uh, that compelling, that compulsion, Uh, is something that really should come fairly genuinely uh, and almost easily. We've been talking about our values and the first one was community. And we identify that each one of us are a necessary part of the body of Christ. Each of us have spiritual gifts and abilities and opportunities to use for the common good. Uh, the O is our our potential maximized. Last week we talked about relevance, and today uh, the E is excellence in ministry. And when we think about spiritual gifts, we may tend to over sensationalize them and think about the the spectacular ones, like the gift of healing or gift of miracles or prophecy. But there are also some very practical, down to earth spiritual gifts. Um, how many of you uh, are really good at checklists and to do lists and spreadsheets and things like that? Let me see your hand. Okay. You may very well have the gift of administration. It's a spiritual gift. Um, how many of you like to just help behind the scenes wherever you can help and do something feel like you're valuable? Let me see your hand. Okay. The gift of helps. The gift of helps is probably the most common gift in the body of Christ because it's the most needed. Well, When you put those two together, administration and helps, it's important that those are also done with excellence. And we thought, what a great opportunity for us to talk to somebody who has modeled that for us. Uh, she's got the gift of administration uh, and, and is using it in what was initially an unexpected way uh, for, for the common good of CLC. Uh, here is a, a video that we've asked Christina Clark uh, to do. So go ahead and watch this.
1: My name is Christina Clark, and I am on the One Love Africa leadership team, and I oversee Hands Against Hunger. Hands Against Hunger is an event that we do annually, typically annually, occasionally semi-annually at CLC, and we package rice meals. We send those to our ministry partners in Eswatini, and the meals are specifically sent to Eswatini for orphans and widows who don't have enough food. So the first time we packed was in December of 2009, and since then, we've had 17 different packs, and we have, we're have we just shy of seven million meals being packed. The year before that, I was involved, became involved in the leadership team for the One Love Africa Ministry, and my responsibility was overseeing internal projects. So we, as a leadership team, were presented an opportunity to pack rice meals, which seemed like a good idea because we knew our ministry partners had um, a food shortage situation. So we um, were in a meeting and while we were learning about this opportunity, I learned that the opportunity was going to be mine to lead not necessarily one that I was looking to have as an opportunity, but um, one that fit the role that I was in on the the ministry team. So, um, with some trepidation of um, trying to process how are we going to pack 300,000 rice meals and how are we going to use 1,500 to 2,000 volunteers over the course of a weekend and do that in an organized fashion. Um, You know, I took that step of faith forward and said, okay, let's do it. On New Year's Eve of December 2009, I was on the team that went to Eswatini for the first soccer and Bible school camp. And we knew that the meals we had packed earlier in the month would get to Eswatini much, you know, long time after we had actually been there and done our thing and come home and everything. So we packed meals in our suitcases and we had the opportunity to meet Go-Go's in the community and give them rice meals firsthand. And that moment, I'll never forget getting to give a rice meal, a package of rice meals to Go-Go. And the gratitude, the excitement, the appreciation that this individual expressed is something that touched my heart in a way that I just don't even know how to describe it. It was humbling, it was gratifying, um, it it was just life-changing. It it absolutely cemented in me, you know, how important this ministry is, was, will always be. My giftedness is um, that of leadership and organization, and Obviously with Hands Against Hunger, there are a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of people involved. There are a lot of um, just details to organize and manage to make the event go off, um, you know, relatively well every time we do it. Um, Having the opportunity to serve in an area where God has gifted you, and in my case, you know, with leadership and administration, all those different things, The best part of that for me is just knowing that I am being obedient to what He's called me to do, and I am using the gifts He's given me in a way that honors Him. One of CLC's values is excellence in ministry, and it's critically important that we strive for excellence in ministry in all that we do because we're serving God. And each of us, no matter what our giftedness is, has important role and without all of us participating and being involved there you know if if all of us don't participate all of the pieces of the puzzle that are needed in order to do things well and to achieve excellence we you know that's not going to happen God has big things planned for our congregation and so in order to accomplish that we all need to be involved because Each of us brings a different skill set, a different giftedness to the table, and everybody is required. Um, You know, I have administration as a gift, but there are other people who have very different gifts than I do, and those gifts are just as important.
0: You heard it and kind of let it slip right by. Seven million meals almost. How many of you have helped with a meal pack? Okay, So we took the gift of helps, gift of administration, and did something excellent with that. So thank you for being part of that. And I am thankful, and I'm sure you are, that I'm surrounded by people who have a, a passion for excellence in ministry here at CLC. You noticed that the moment you turned down the driveway... Uh, the grounds are always so beautifully taken care of and uh, manicured uh, because our attitude is companies coming on the weekend. And it's not just our staff. There are dozens and dozens of volunteers to help us keep our facilities looking the way they do. And there are people also volunteer their time in here taking care of the, the building uh, and keeping it clean. I get complimented often enough, and I'm kind of happy I do. Your bathrooms smell great. <laughs> you ever been in a place the bathrooms don't smell great? You don't feel like sticking around. Uh, We try to model our stewardship for the place to show that's how we will also care for and about you. And I tell our facility team, I tell them, you know what? Uh, What you're doing caring for the house of God is a spiritual work. That's what the Levites did in the Old Testament. And long before a person hears me speak, they decide if they're going to come back or not, if they feel comfortable here or not, and that's largely because they have served with excellence in the ministry here at CLC. Goes beyond that, uh, if you want to pick a fight with somebody in our kids ministry, just thank them for doing child care, because they will say, "We are not doing child care; we are discipling children, even even as infants. Uh, they're praying for those little kids when they're there in the in the nursery." And they do an amazing job. I talked to a young family uh, just at the breakfast, and they're brand new here. A couple of them, actually. They, we needed something for our kids. We found something for our kids. Our kids love it here. And so they're doing it with excellence. Uh, our outreach, obviously, and packing the meals and god size vision, uh, just a, a passion for excellence. And what you've experienced already uh, for the first half hour, 40 minutes on stage. And we've got dozens of people on our weekend team. Uh, who play instruments, who sing, who run cameras and tech boards and lights. And there are people in that back room, you know, you'll never even see uh, that are switching things and making sure the broadcast online goes well. All of them are committed, giving their time, serving with excellence. Uh, And it's all because uh, we're compelled to serve him with our very best and give him our best. Now there's a, there's a deeper why beneath that. Okay, but why go to all the trouble? Why try and struggle with that? Because for us, our attitude is not, well, it's close enough for church work. Uh uh-uh. On the contrary, we want to give God our best. And if you have the app, you can follow along. The first point says God's excellent love compels us to the same. When you look at what He's done for us, how can we uh, do any less? In Mark chapter 12, Jesus kind of summarizes all of scripture. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, say all. All. With all your soul, say all. All. With all your mind, say all. All. And with all your strength, say all. All. That is an all-in kind of love and excellent response. I'm going to love God and serve God with all that I am. Now, how many of you are all in? Yeah. Actually, we, we probably have an honest crowd because as you hear all of that, it's like, wow, I don't know, am I with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength. And, and so I'd, I'd like to say I'm all in all the time. And it, the love of Christ deserves that. In John chapter 15, it's not on the screen, but Jesus said greater love has no one than this. He lays down his life for his friends. He was letting them know what's about to happen because Jesus would lay down his life for us. Basically, you're about to see the greatest love possible, he's telling his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. If that's what Jesus did for us, how can anything he wants me to do ever be too much? And so, Hopefully we're all in. But if you're even if you're all in, I'm, I wonder if you're all in, can you be more all in? All right. And a counselor recently told me and reminded me of uh, what you might call dialectical thinking. We tend to be either or, either this or that. And they said, how about being both and? So why don't you just try this. Repeat after me. I'm doing my best. Doing my best. And I can train harder. Now, you might think I would say I'm doing my best and I can try harder, but I'm not here to invite you to try uh, in your walk with God. No, we're training. There's a verse not on the screen in uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. It says, All scripture is inspired by God, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Would you say training in righteousness? There's a huge difference between training and trying. Look it up. Try means to attempt to do or accomplish something. I'll give it a try. Oh, well. You attempt to do it or accomplish it. Training sounds, feels, is totally different. Training is to make proficient by instruction and practice. And so we train to be proficient. We train with practice. We, we train by, we, the word of God is, is something we use for training. We read it, we see it, and then we do it. We read it, we see it, we do it, we learn from our mistakes, we pray about that. And so we're not here to try for righteousness. We are to train for righteousness. And so even if I'm doing my best, I can train harder. So the the question I have for you just in this context and listening to Christina and talking about CLC, when it comes to excellence in ministry in your church, are you bringing your best? About, 50%, about 60% of you are engaged, but about 35 or 40% of you haven't even jumped into that yet. The good news is, Your greatest sense of satisfaction being part of CLC is yet to come because I'm convinced until you're fully engaged, not just in a service, but you're finding ways to use your talents and abilities for the common good, that's when it really takes it up a notch. And so are you contributing to excellence in ministry here that as a body of believers, it reflects, man, we love God. We are so in love with God. We want to give Him our absolute best to Him for each other. But excellence in ministry goes beyond what happens here. The next point, I want to talk about excellence in life. And when it comes to excellence in life, I encourage you to pursue daily holy moments. Let's break that down and let's look at what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, say Whatever. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do, whatever you say. He gets even more practical, kind of restates it, goes a little further a few verses later, talking about the, the, everybody's work life now. Here it was slaves and masters. But he says, Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, say whatever. whatever. Do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. I believe, at least I'll speak for us, that people who call this their church home that have absorbed and are living out the DNA of our 10 core values, I believe you are the biggest blessing to the workforce of Dayton, Ohio, of anybody in the community because why because when you go to work you realize you're not just doing stuff to make the boss think good of you you're not just kind of kind of please the boss oh that's what the, or you know oh, that's what the boss wants no He's, boss don't go don't just please men do it like you're serving Jesus because if let's face it not everybody in this room has a perfect boss can I hear an amen, amen. all right and so if you go, well, I'll give you what you deserve. You're that good a boss. I give you this good work. No, no. It's as though whoever your boss is, you see Jesus looking over their shoulders, smiling at you like, give it your best, girl. Give it your best, son. Do it like you're doing it for me. Everything you do in word or deed. That gets up close and personal. And it goes outside of here to, to where you live and where you work. And, and we do it the way Jesus did. It's not on the screen, but in Philippians chapter 2, It says that have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. A voluntary servant is what Jesus did. Made in the likeness of men. And he humbled himself. That's not easy to do. Nothing in our culture says to humble yourself. It says, puff yourself up. It says, be the best. It says, get on top. No, Jesus humbled himself. And a few verses later, Paul says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. That comes natural, doesn't it? Tall order. And uh, I want to challenge you about the opportunities that surround you. Before you leave, you'll be immersed in them. But they're going to surround you all day to day. They're going to surround you all week long where you work, at school, in your neighborhood, throughout the community. I mean, you name it. You've got opportunities for something that's been kind of looming larger and larger for me as I preach this now the third time. uh, Something called Holy Moments. And a friend of mine uh, gave me a book to read while I was on vacation a couple weeks ago, which I did, and it's uh, the title of the book is The Biggest Lie in the History of Christianity. It has a title. It makes me raise my eyebrows. and wonder what he thinks that is. And how many of you are curious want to know what he thinks it is? Okay, so for you, I'll tell you, all right? Um, he believes that the biggest lie in Christianity is holiness is not possible. Biggest lie in Christianity. It's a great thought. Because we have a tendency to hear about holiness. Oh, I'm only... I'm not. See, you've heard the lie too. And when we have that perspective and like holiness is something that we're just trying for. Well, I tried and I couldn't, but I'm only human. I'm not perfect. He pushes back. and No, no, no. In fact, Jesus said, be holy for I'm holy. Be perfect for I'm perfect. So let me, let me give it to you, though, a different way that goes in line with this idea of training Not trying to be holy, but trained to be holy and training for righteousness. I'll read you a few thoughts. He said, A holy moment is a moment when you are being the person God created you to be and you're doing what you believe God is calling you to do in that moment. It is an instance where you set aside self-interest, personal desire, and what you feel like doing or would rather be doing and embrace what you believe will bring the most good to the most people in that moment. Now, according to that definition, how many of you believe you're probably capable of a holy moment sometime in the future, right? All of us are, right? Raise your hand, okay? So when you think about that, uh, and it's not just a holy moment, but think about, okay, if I could do a holy moment, maybe I could do a second holy moment. Maybe I can do one or two or three in a row holy moments, and maybe I can come back here and do another holy moment. And And yet, how many of us, our lives are not all holy moments? Can I... See, honest hands. He deals with that too. He says, the heroes, the champions, and the saints who have exemplified Christian living for 2,000 years did not live holy lives. Hang on. It's a mistake to step back and look at their lives and say, she lived a holy life, or he lived a truly holy life. And these men and women that we place on pedestals would be the first to admit that they did not live holy lives. They lived holy moments. Their lives are not a single action. Rather, they lived life like you and I, one moment at a time. Say one moment at a time. Did they collaborate with God to create holy moments? Yes. Did they also turn their backs on God at other times and create unholy moments? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, it's essential to note that between all the holy moments these champions of Christianity were creating with God, they did some really messed up stuff. How many of you have done some really messed up stuff? And see, if we're trying to not be messed up, if we're just trying to live righteously, then as soon as we do some really messed up stuff, well, I tried, I quit. But if I'm training... If what I'm doing is I am, I am making proficient by instruction and by at practice, okay, oh, that didn't go well. Okay, I learned some more. I get the feedback, whatever. I pray and I, then I find that I'm actually stringing those holy moments together for a positive impact. Some people though, and some of you right now are going to kind of be, yeah, but I never know. When is it a holy moment? When is it not a holy moment? Should I do that? Should I not? Right? You get all anxious and stressed out. All right. Well, again, if it's by practice, you're going to try that. You're going to work toward that. It's going to be a little bit trial and error. And he says, over time, as we collaborate with God to create more and more holy moments, that whisper, I should do that, I should not do that, it'll grow louder and clearer. And so I believe that to those of you who like, well, I'd like to do holy moments, but I just never know. I never know if it's the right one or not. Well, first of all, where I'm at in my life, I've said before, I would rather go ahead and do something and it turns out I wasn't supposed to do it, then not do something and it's supposed to I, it turns out I was I was supposed to. So I'd rather go ahead and okay, I meant well. So I'd like for us, I think the first step in this kind of training in righteousness really starts with just asking God for help. So I'm asking you to bow your heads with me real quick. We're just gonna pray right now. And if you agree with me at the end of the prayer, I want you to say amen. So Lord, as we're here together today, thank you for CLC and for all those who just serve with excellence in so many ways. We're, blessing, we're blessed by that. And we know you're also calling us to live lives of excellence, not just here, but wherever we go in our daily lives. And yet we want, we want to live in and fulfill those holy moments you have for us. But sometimes we're unsure. Sometimes we're distracted. We're not clear. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to, to get our attention We ask you to prompt our spirit and make it clear enough to us that we will take advantage of the holy moments you have for us, make an impact on others, and please you. We ask for your help. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all who agreed said, amen. Amen. Okay, so we, we just prayed. You agreed. You said amen. So start expecting that. Start expecting whispers. Start expecting wonder about. Start expecting who should I to hit you. And when those start to hit you, what are you going to do? The correct answer is I'm going I'm I'm to do it. All right? What are you going to do? All right. Because we'd rather, we'd rather go ahead and attempt it and fail than, than not attempt it. Because we are training in righteousness. Okay. And he goes on to say it, it may be helpful to have a litmus test of questions such as, will this help me become a better version of myself? Will this help me grow in character and virtue? Does this contradict Jesus' teachings? Obviously, if that's the case, you don't do that. Will this action bring harm to another person? Will this help or prevent others from becoming a better version of themselves? Those are the kind of questions you can ask in a nanosecond as you're deciding whether you act or not. And you may just say, Lord, what is it that you want most for me and from me in this moment? And he says it's important to note that we need God's grace to create holy moments. that we need his amazing grace. But when you think about it, he really simplifies it. What is it that the world needs? The world needs holy moments. Your marriage needs holy moments. Your kids need it, your friends, your neighbors, your work colleagues, your community, your school, your business need holy moments. Can you imagine the impact if 2,000 of us to hear this message today will leave here with a new sense of passion of I'm going to be aware of all the opportunities that surround me and when I think there's a holy moment where I can step in and I can make an impact on somebody, big or small, I'm gonna do that. Can you imagine The impact that that will have, not could, but will have. And as we talk about it, sometimes people, they sort of discount themselves. Oh, well, I don't have the gift of administration like that lady on the screen. And all of us have gifts, talents, opportunities, and abilities that can be used for the good of others. There is, I, I said this comment last night and then, well, I, I made the statement that in the body of Christ, you know, Paul talked about summer hand, summer foot, whatever. In the body of Christ, no one is the appendix. All right. Now, I learned way back when that the appendix was a worthless little piece of just hanging off your intestines. And then our, our online tech director, we do a debrief, he goes, actually, I did a little research while you were talking and they're finding that that's not necessarily true there may be a purpose for the appendix. I said, can you tell me that after I make the point? Instead of writing this, no. But you could lose your appendix and it wouldn't hurt you, all right? Well, turn to three people and tell them you're not the appendix. Just tell them. Just look at them, cross the way. You're not the appendix. You're not the appendix. All of us have value in the body of Christ. Final point I want to land on is that Awe and gratitude really are the healthy motive for excellence. A sense of awe, a sense of gratitude. It will stir you within when you don't know what to do, when you feel tired or whatever. It'll, it'll, it'll reinvigorate you to, okay, I want to do my best for God. And the story I want to tell, uh, the verse I want to read, I have to tell the story around it. It's late in the life of David, King David. When he was a teenager, before he was anointed king, God called him an incredible salutation. He called David, a man after my own heart. How amazing is that, that God would call him that? And, and David was anointed king, becomes the king of Israel during the golden age of Israel, he and his, his son Solomon. And David was a phenomenal warrior, had loads of holy moments I can only imagine what it would have felt like when he, when he slayed Goliath. I can think of the holy moments when he was as a shepherd uh, out in the fields, and he wrote many of the Psalms that you and I turn to today for comfort or inspiration. And some of the Psalms he wrote as king that we turn to for strength and for peace. The, the holy moments that were part of that guy's life were incredible. But he would also, if he were here, tell you I, I, I messed up quite a bit. I lived some very unholy moments. And he could tell about his affair with Bathsheba and the cover-up that was atrocious and, and the regrets and the consequences he had to deal with in that. But David was a man after God's own heart and David shows us how how a, a, a person longing for God can fail, can repent and be forgiven and restored by God because God restores us and continue to seek those holy moments. Well, the verse we in that we chose as a board in the early 90s, now that attitude there of David really reflects the kind of unselfish passion for God that we want. And, and the story is, so in, in chapter 22 of 2 Samuel, David basically quotes uh, a psalm that he wrote that is Psalm 18. And Psalm 18, the title in my Bible, the Lord prays for giving deliverance and in it, David says, some. Of, you can just hear the gratitude. that He writes this, uh, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. You're the rock in whom I take refuge. You're my shield. You're my horn of salvation. And, and, and how many times have we turned to God when we needed strength or protection? And we're so thankful God is that rock. He said, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and I cried to my God for help and he heard my voice and my cry for help before him came to his ears. And how many times have you and I cried out to God for help when no one else understood, no one else was there, but you knew that God heard. He says elsewhere, therefore the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyes. God is a God who is a rewarder of those who seek him, the Bible says. You, you light my lamp and the Lord illumines my darkness. And elsewhere, the Psalms say that God's word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. And how many times has God come to you and given you direction and, and, and lit your darkness? As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a shield to all who take refuge in him. Again, when life seems to beat you up and overwhelm you, you can turn to God. God girds you with strength, makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me upon high places. He'll keep you from stumbling, the Bible says. You have given me a shield of salvation. Your right hand upholds me and your gentleness makes me great. God's a God of massive power and strength. And he's a God of gentleness and kindness and tender mercies. He delivers me from my enemies. Surely he he lifts me up above those who rise against me. I mean, over and over again, David is just pouring out his gratitude to God. It's a psalm he wrote, but it's also an entire chapter near the end of his life in 2 Samuel. That's chapter 22. Chapter 23 uh, is sort of a review of David's militia. And he goes into chapter 24, and David does something that's very displeasing to God. So on the one hand, you have this man who is, who is uh, good at holy moments, but then he's also good at messing up. And, and David takes a census of his military and it's hard for us to understand why it's wrong, but he has them count up all the troops and all the armament to know how strong his forces are. And God's very displeased with that. The best I can surmise is because God wants David to live and breathe that his strength and his sustenance is of God. And, you know, elsewhere, it says in the Bible, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. We'll trust in the Lord our God. And, and God's like, I don't want you trusting your chariots and horses. I want you trusting in me. God was displeased to the point that he was going to bring judgment against David and the nation of Israel. And God gives them a choice how you want to be disciplined. It didn't happen to me, but I, I've heard stories of people, it seems like the generation before me, that their parents had them go out in the backyard and get a switch off of a bush, and they bring it in, they get a spanking with it. You pick out your own own instrument of discipline. And so God says, either there's going to be war, there's going to be famine, or there's going to be a plague. Take your pick. David's like, I I guess I'll pick the plague. And uh, as that plague starts to break out, David just freaks out. A prophet comes to him and says, well, go offer a sacrifice to God and ask for forgiveness and for God's mercy. That's what he does. And so he goes to, he heads to this uh, this territory, this, this piece of land. It's owned by a man named Aruana, And when he sees the king coming, the entourage obviously kind of panics. Like, okay, is this good? Is this not good? And then he realizes why the king is coming. Listen to what Aruana says to David in 2 Samuel. Everything, O king, Aruana gives to the king. Aruana said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you However, and, and so he's going to give him the oxen to, to offer the sacrifice. He's going to give them the wood that the ox were using, you know, the, the, the yoke they had. Use the wood. Use the ox for the sacrifice. You can have this whole field. All of it is yours, king. It's my gift to you, your majesty. Verse 24, however, the king said to Arun, no, I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Thus the Lord was moved by prayer for the land, and the plague was held back from Israel. David did not serve God to achieve some net gain out of it, out of him. David was not looking for a good deal and for a bless me now and wow, I did that. But look, God's given me the field. No, no, David was not into God for that. He wasn't into using God. He was into serving God. He realized he'd failed. And so David humbled himself and he said, I will not give to God that which cost me nothing. David expected that serving God as the king was meant to cost us how we have flipped that in our modern-day faith, and we feel that serving God serves us. But David had a sense of humility about him, and David had a sense of surrender about him, and, and and no, on the contrary, I'll pay for it gladly because it's the least I can do to offer to God for his amazing grace. And so as we land this message, I... The team came up with a song. I said, "You know, let's let's do that song. Let's do it it in just a very reflective atmosphere." And as I listen to the words of the song, I've heard it several times now. I want it to be true for me. It isn't always. I think you'll want it to be true for you, and if you're honest, you'll admit it isn't always. We live pretty busy, pretty hectic lives. Truth be known. We can live fairly distracted lives. And this song sounds amazing and wonderful, the words of it. And there's a, there's a longing in my heart that resonates with like, Yes, that's what I want. I want. I want excellence in my life, in the ministry that is my life, and I want to give it wholeheartedly to the one who has given everything in his love to me. I, I can't possibly outlove God, but I want to serve him with a passion. And the song says very simply, give me Jesus. I invite you to take a moment and just kind of shut yourself in as they share this with us. And allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Is it really true? Do you want that much? And then we'll close in prayer together. song. Would you bow with me in prayer? And uh, as we sit in this moment, it was done with such excellence. It's a perfect example of how when people use their gifts with passion and excellence, it blesses the rest of us. But the very first line convicts me all the things i thought i wanted don't compare to loving you is that true i don't want anything else i don't need anything else just give me jesus the degree to which you feel convicted about that because there's a whole lot you want and a whole lot you're after and a lot of distractions maybe it's appropriate just to ask for forgiveness for so many appetites that lure us away maybe it's time to invite the Holy Spirit to to reprioritize your life and your passions and, and your hungers and for me I'm I'm certain that there are so many more holy moments I could step into all over my life, not just here, that I don't. I'm just distracted and busy and places to go, people to meet and things to do. Maybe you're like me and you want to ask the Holy Spirit to, you want to invite him to speak loud and clear, to speak soft and specific, but to resurrender your life, your attention, your energy to the holy moments that he has for you. Take a moment and just respond from your heart. Lord, we can say an amen to the the way that people in our righteous past messed up. We can identify to that. But we can also identify, Lord, that you called them and you call us to holy moments. And we thank you for everyone. We had the, the quietness, the wisdom, the discernment to see and to seize. So that what we said, what we did, was as unto Jesus for that person, for that circumstance. I pray you'd put us on on heightened alert. God's got holy moments for me in my marriage, at home, with my kids, with my parents, with my family, at work, at school, in the community, at my church, and help us to say yes. Jesus, we're thankful for the blessings in our lives, but help the blessings never to be more than that show us when they've become obsessions, preoccupations. They're simply meant to be accompaniments to a righteous life that we are training to become and be all you want us to be. And so I pray a blessing of awareness on this congregation. A blessing of surrender. And I pray that you would whet our appetite, Holy Spirit, for Jesus for his goodness, for his grace, for God's love. And that people could say of us, he or she loves God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. And here's what I see that makes me believe that. So we thank you for the privilege of serving you. Big ways and small. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your goodness. In your name we pray. I've asked Josh just to pray for a little, or play for a little while. If you want to stay and linger and kind of soak in this moment, respond in your personal prayer life if you can. You're, you're dismissed. Hopefully, you see you Wednesday night at seven o'clock for our prayer and worship time. God bless you. Thanks for being here.